Welcome to Touch Podcast. This is Ryan. And this is Nate. Previously on Touch Podcast. People in our churches are having to hide their identity. They're having to sublimate their identity for the rest of their identity for religious identity. In this episode, Sean talks about the impact of how religious speak is part of the problems of violations of consent. Oh, and a little later, we'll hear from Lindsay Godwin of Vanderbilt Divinity School about the lasting impact of sexual purity programs, even on young adults attending seminary today. My name is Sean Warner Garcia. I work at the University of California, Santa Barbara, and I'm a scholar of language, sexuality, and religion. And I study how Baptists talk about sexuality in their faith communities and how some Baptists are working to create a a new and better model for understanding sexual identity and sexual experience of their community members. So the reason that I study these issues of religion and sexuality through the lens of language is because I really think that it can provide a powerful tool for addressing a lot of these issues. When we're able to talk about these issues with better frameworks and discourses and language, I think we're better able to explore the different possibilities um, that these different topics can afford us. And a lot of times when we talk about touchy subjects like sexuality, we get tense and scared and it feels risky. And I think if we can provide the spaces to have these conversations openly, um, that that can be really empowering for a lot of people. So I think we're just beginning to understand some of the fallout from the True Love Waits movement that was really popular in the 80s and 90s. Um, And some sociological research is really pointing to the vast amount of emotional and spiritual damage that this understanding of abstinence only and traditional gender roles is really having, particularly on women in faith communities. Um, A lot of this research is showing that some of the problems that our faith communities are having as far as sexual repression, sexual abuse, uh, issues of sexual assault, they're having their roots in this understanding that the only place for sex is in marriage, but even then we don't even talk about it um, in any sort of healthy or constructive way. Um, And so the True Love Waits movement is really showing to be an inadequate way of thinking about sexuality. Um, It it provided this set of rules that people could live by, but it didn't provide a model for wholeness in who people are and how they understand their sexuality. And we're starting to see those gaps and to see the damage done by those gaps. So for example, a lot of Southern Baptist leaders were involved in signing and drafting the Nashville Statement, which um, laid out these different articles um, that really represent very traditional rigid views of gender and sexual identity. Um, And that is, it was a political statement and it was meant to draw a line in the sand between this is what it means to be a true Baptist, and if you don't believe these things that we believe about gender and sexuality, then you are outside of traditional Christianity. 
So in the curriculum that I'm writing, one of the lessons is on the topic of consent. Uh, and really consent is kind of a foundationally Baptist thing if you think about the sort of foundational freedoms that Baptists uh, adhere to. Um, and the topic of consent is especially relevant because of all of the incidences of sexual assault, sexual abuse, sexual misconduct that we see, not just in our faith communities, but in our society at large. And it was shocking to me to realize in my studies that over 40% of Baptists have experienced forced sexual activity at some point in their life. Um, and this can range anything from uh, coercion to sex within marriage to abuse from a relative when they were a child um, to being sexually assaulted at a party in college. Um, it seemed like almost everyone had a story about some type of forced sexual activity that they had experienced. Um, and these numbers were actually even higher among women and even higher among young people. They experience forced sexual activity at much higher rates than the general population. Yeah, that basically tells me that women are subjecting themselves to abuse and don't even realize it, mm. you know? I think that a lot of times people don't even realize that they have these negative sexual experiences until you give them the space to think about it and reflect on it. And especially when you ask them to connect it to these larger experiences in their life, like growing up in a religious community, what that looks like and how that's manifested in their life. Um, some people wrote in the survey that they didn't even realize they had experienced sexual assault until years later when they understood what consent was. Um, and it, it was kind of devastating um, for them to realize how much religion had played a part in um, some of the sexual pain in their lives. Results from the survey that I did show that about 38% of Baptists have a disparity between their public and their private sexual identity. So this means that how they present themselves to other people um, is different from how they identify personally in their sexuality and their sexual orientation. Um, and this just shows that a lot of people still feel like they have to hide something about their sexuality, especially in their faith communities. Um, and I think when we're, we're not able to talk about sexuality in general, all parts of it, we're even more so suffocated when we try to talk about trickier parts of sexuality and the parts that make us uncomfortable and maybe the parts that we don't understand even. For many, they think that simply relates to uh, the political issue of gay marriage. Mm -hmm. But what's also happening is it keeps us from having the open dialogue mm -hmm. about just body image and feeling comfortable with yourself and that's mm -hmm. huge. Mm -hmm. Sometimes some of the rules of our religions, and especially Baptists, have um, made the issue of sexuality a really political one. Um, and I think that that can narrow the scope of our discussions about sexuality just to sexual orientation and gay marriage, um, when really sexuality is so much bigger than that. And everyone should be able to talk about their sexuality not other people's sexuality, but their own experiences with their body and sex and pleasure and desire. 
And they need that space in their faith communities because if we can't be honest and open there, I mean, where else can we find that safe space? So according to my data, about 90% of people agreed with the statement that they are a person of worth. And so there's this really immense sense of value and belonging that a lot of Baptists feel. But then only about 50% of Baptists indicated that they agreed with the statement that they valued their body. And so there's this disparity between how they feel as a person and how they feel about their body. And their sense of self-worth is almost in spite of how they feel about their body. So by only focusing on the rules related to sexuality, we lose the ability to really go into these conversations with curiosity about who we are and discover who other people are and even who God is. I think that if we're able to talk about sexuality more openly, we might actually discover a bit more of the divine. This episode is brought to you by Next Good Consulting. Next Good coaches individuals and organizations to create new futures in a creative consulting process that starts with one powerful question. If your life were a comedy, what would happen next? It's true. He really asked me this question, and that's that's what unlocked me. This unique story framing helps generate new ideas, design imaginative alternatives, and craft a new storyline. Whether it's your life or a business idea that's stuck, you can learn to stop rehearsing that scripted drama in your head and start having fun in your own happy story. I should know because I did I did those exact same steps and it it really has changed the course of my life. Start a new page today with NextGood at www.rnextgood.com. Tell them you heard about them on Touch Podcast and get one free coaching session on me, on Nate because I took it and it was amazing and I want you all to experience it, at least just have a chance. Next good, gain a new sense of purpose by starting something good. All right, so my name is Lindsay Godwin, L-Y-N-D-S-E-Y-G-O-D-W-I-N. And my title, I am the Assistant Director for the Carpenter Program in Religion, Gender and Sexuality at Vanderbilt Divinity School. Yes, so at this time we're in Nashville, we're collecting bites for a promo to to get a documentary financed. Uh, so we're we're switching different microphones, we're tossing the camera around to get these bites. And as this is happening, um, Lindsay mentioned something about the Song of Solomon that I never knew. Something that apparently a lot of folks learn in seminary and yeah, and it just, I don't think it's reached a lot, a lot of folks in, in Sunday school, at least for me as a Southern Baptist fundamentalist. I actually get to teach at Vanderbilt a course called um, Sacred and Sexual Effective Sex Ed for Faith Settings. And so we actually focus on equipping some of our students with the skills and tools and resources to do really good sex ed that isn't based in shame. Because the reality for True Love Waits and other programs like it is that they are entirely based in shame and guilt. Not empowering folks with the tools and skills, things like how to figure out what their own values are and how to communicate effectively with um, their partners and their families and their friends. Um, being able to just have actual accurate information. Those are the things that are not in True Love Waits and those sorts of programs that we really can give to our young people effectively if we teach our future ministers how to do it. So that's one of the reasons why I'm excited about this work. So you would think 
students who hear call from God, they go to seminary, they have some sort of sense of, uh, of working in the, 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 the greater, for the greater good, uh, to serve God, to help humanity, that they would have figured out those things before <laughs> they got to seminary. Right. So it's obvious that mo- many have not. Right. And so what are the some of, some of the kinds of issues and conversations you end up having that that have been surprising to you? I was going to say, not surprising. Not surprising but, anymore, but, but you might. Yeah. yeah. So I've been doing sexuality education for about a decade and particularly been paying attention to religion, gender, and sexuality for... Mm, including school and work for at least 15, 16 years. So the themes of where people are hurting and where people are damaged have been the same and consistent throughout that time. Um, We see that people are completely disconnected from their bodies and aren't able to uh, oftentimes find pleasure in sex no matter what, or even in contact with people and in relationships. They're not able to find care and the intimacy that they seek because there's so much shame. There's so much shame. Um, And we find that people aren't able to um, navigate around sexual violence often. So, or, excuse me, Programs like True Love Waits and other abstinence-focused programs use shame to tell a person that any sexual contact makes them impure, um, makes them less human, makes them less worthy of God's love. So when somebody's experienced sexual violence and they hear that, what they hear is not only am I, have I experienced this violation of my personhood, that our society already doesn't know how to handle, but also that God and the entire church is telling me that I am, I am soiled, I am dirty, I am worthless. Um, that's immensely damaging to folks. And I hear those stories on a regular basis, people who've experienced um, sexual violence or who've experienced versions of abuse, who've also gotten messages from the church that say, any sexual contact means that you are violating your relationship with God. It's a terrible place to start. Um, and that's, that's, that's sort of one of the more extreme cases, but we also know, we've seen it with the Me Too campaigns that are happening right now, um, that experiences of sexual violence and harassment are pervasive for most, most humans, particularly women. So that's one, another piece of the, of the damage that happens. Um, another piece is that everything becomes about maintaining some sense of purity and separation and that never becomes about a person learning what they need and they want so they even if somebody a person does choose to be abstinent until they're married that means they get into marriages and then they're not able to say this is what I need for my life or this is what I would like or please touch me here or I like it when we do this and it means that the relationships the sexual relationships become really um, fraught with pain and struggle and an inability to ever get past that. So our church, our churches are setting folks up to fail, even if they live up to this high standard of maintaining abstinence, which we also know is just inaccurate. Like we just know that humans don't typically do that. Our studies show over and over and over again that um, 
up to upwards of the in the 90s folks in the US at least have sex before they're married. And in that definition of sex, we're talking about a penis going inside a vagina. And be very blunt about what we're calling sex, um, because that's the definition that folks are typically working from. Um, and we know that even with True Love Weights and other abstinence-based programs like it, the numbers are pretty similar. A person might wait longer into their 20s instead of or into their teens, um, but we've got numbers in the 80s and 90s for folks who, who choose to have sex anyways, except those folks then also oftentimes feel regret and shame afterward, as if they've screwed up somehow. I believe that there are better ways for us to provide sexuality education, to encourage folks to be abstinent, abstinent as an empowering and affirmative decision, um, rather than one that's based out of pain and harm. And then the other damage is that people don't get to have pleasure, <laughs> which for some people might sound terrifying and scary, which I would argue pleasure should not sound terrifying and scary. But we have an, if we go back to the Bible, if we go back to the text, we have an entire book of what I call biblical erotica in Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, depending on how we uh, phrase it. And it is so sensual and it is so focused on pleasure and every both of the parties in that the, the person who sort of we understand as the woman, the person who we understand as the man, they are both having pleasure and experiencing pleasure, and also they're not married. Like, biblically, they're, they're not married. Um, and it's, it's right in the middle of the book, and it's amazing. So we, we don't lift that piece up, and when we don't lift that piece up, and we don't honor the fact that there are ways to be, to center pleasure, and to center pleasure faithfully, we are losing and diminishing our relationships with each other and our relationships with God. They're not married? <laughs> they're not. The song, did you know that? No, no, that's why he has to, no, they're not that? married. They're not Are married? Are you serious? Yeah, why would you need to sneak out in the middle of the night to go have sex with your spouse, right? Right. He, yeah. He's sneaking out. What? He's got to hide in the hedge. He's got to wait for yeah. the, uh, the, yeah. um, the guards to go by. Yeah. And then after the guards go by, he climbs up on the thing. He sneaks in on her, totally and then they like. Are, is, is yes. She, is she or he married to other people? No. Well, the, the idea is that they are probably in a relationship, right? Okay. That that and, and this is why you hear the one of the words that gets used in some of the translations is like bridegroom. Okay. Um, and you yeah. and it t there's a conversation about her as a bride to be and her party, right. but she they are not yet married. There is no scriptural evidence, historical evidence that they're married yet. So the bridegroom reference is like for lovers. Yeah, and bride, like bridegroom like is like the, like being engaged. Right, right. The bridegroom yeah. is like the the person who um, is they're going to be in a, in a relationship. They're going oh, to be so married. They're, they're engaged. Probably some version of that, but it yeah, doesn't actually promise. like we have to remember that in this context, women are property. They are not free beings. But in the Song of Songs, we start with the woman, and we see her point of view almost primarily, and. She is reveling in her own enjoyment of her body, her own enjoyment of this care and relationship and physical excitement about this other human being. Um, and so even when we talk about whether they're engaged or whether they're um, married is a little bit different too because we typically don't think about women as property now, at least not in the same way we did then. <laughs> I would argue that it's complicated, right? <laughs> that there are layers to how we understand um, women even now. But in Song of Songs, she's super excited about what's happening. She's seeking out pleasure. 
he's seeking out pleasure. They're definitely not married, um, though they are committed to each other. So, yeah. Um, God. <laughs> Revelation. I know. It's like, to me. can we do <laughs> Okay, so like Lindsay. you were hearing some of that for the first time. What do you mean sounds like? Yes, I heard that for the first time. I never knew. How how are they using that for like what? They used it for 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 like married people. Uh-huh. They used like the Song of Solomon. Here's an example, and they're not they're not married. <sighs> Seriously, this my brain. What? <sighs> okay, I haven't been to seminary. You guys have both been to seminary. Mm-hmm. Do you go through? Can you get a seminary degree of any kind without ever hearing the truth that in Song of Solomon they weren't married? You can. Yeah. I would argue that it's easy to go through it and not get that information. Oh my gosh. Okay. Not from Vanderbilt, but. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> not McAfee either. <laughs> yeah. You seminary people. Yeah. Um, so something I was thinking is. But it doesn't make it into. This conversation doesn't make itself into the, com- the Sunday school material because it brings up other issues. And we want for youth, usually, traditionally we thought what's best for youth is to keep it simple, keep it, you know, down to three points. You know, don't make it too complicated. Don't give any wiggle room. And the youth will do what you tell them to do. And of course, right? Youth don't do what you tell them to do. That's the very nature of being a teenager. You're 15, 16 years old. Hormones are raging. You're going out with your friends. You start connecting with other people. You're differentiating from your parents. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's, a, it's a time like in the Song of Solomon <laughs> where people's sexual energies get aroused and you know that energy is looking for companionship and yeah it's beautiful and with that we have to bring this episode to a close but we'll come back with Lindsay in the future specifically when we address the me too movement our next episode zeroes in on the recurring topic of shame We'll speak with Dr. Tina Shermer Sellers, sexologist and professor at Seattle Pacific University, about her new book, Sex, Shame, and the Conservative Church. Guys, when I found out about her book and her research, I was floored. Music for this episode was composed by Spencer Barlow and Owen Harrington, students in Mr. Custer's AP Computer Science class at Decatur High School. Guys, they're awesome. Hey, and if you've got some really cool music that you'd like to see if we could feature, Email us, send us a link. Maybe we'll dig it and you'll hear it. We're down. But it's gotta be awesome. You can't like suck. Yeah. Podcast! Touch! And as always, connect with us at www.touchpodcast.com where you can read essays, watch videos, and learn more about upcoming guests. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at touch underscore cast, period.